Welcome to the Healthcare Plus podcast, hosted by Quint Studer and Dan Collard. In each high-impact segment, Quint and Dan bring together leaders and changemakers from across healthcare to discuss the latest industry insights, offer solutions to some of healthcare's greatest challenges, and provide replenishment and well-being tools that will refill your emotional bank account. With a focus on practical tools, techniques, and best practices, you'll walk away from each episode with ideas you can implement in your own role, organization, and community. I'm Nicole Webb-Bodie, partner at Healthcare Plus Solutions Group. Quint Studer and Dan Collard, your hosts, co-founded Healthcare Plus Solutions Group with the mission of having a positive impact on those that receive care and those that provide care. HPSG specializes in delivering customized solutions that build and develop skills to help healthcare organizations achieve and sustain high performance. Quint is a well-known author, operator, coach, and mentor to many. He has dedicated his life to creating tools and techniques that make healthcare a better place for physicians to practice medicine, patients to receive care, and employees to work. Dan is a seasoned executive with a passion for improving healthcare and leading organizations through change. From rural hospitals to complex health systems and academic medical centers, Dan has helped organizations across the industry attain best-in-class performance. For more information about your host and our upcoming events, visit healthcareplussg.com. And now, please welcome today's guest. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Plus podcast. Dan Collard here with a really special guest today. You know, as we think about the world of our healthcare industry, and even for those of us, uh, those of our listeners that are not from the healthcare industry, one of the greatest challenges we have out there is as we take a look at the shifting sands of the ages of our workforce. Uh, you know, and we've been talking about the multi-generational workforce for a number of years, but like so many things, the pandemic really put a white hot spotlight on what this really means and the impact that it has. And of course, we'll spend our time today mostly talking about healthcare, but I'm delighted to have a guest that can also take us outside of our own four walls in healthcare and and, and talk about other industries and talk about her uh, experience, uh, both her experience as a member of one of these newer generations and as an observer, and more importantly, as a solver of some of these challenges. So I am just tickled to welcome Amelie Karam to the Healthcare Plus podcast. Amelie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I uh, I have just enjoyed so much getting to know you and and hearing about your background, um, hearing about the path that you've chosen to help other organizations. And it's always it's always fun to have folks on this podcast that really chose the path of helping chose the path of bringing solutions. And that's one of the things that intrigued me the most. Um, why don't you share with our listeners just a little bit about Amelie? Sure. Um, so I, um, Amelie Karam, I speak and consult about bridging the different generational gaps. So I've been doing this now for about nine years. And when I first started, the Millennial topic was a really hot topic. But I was working with a speaking coach at the time, Garrison Wynn. And he said, you know, there's a lot of people talking about these different generations and the generational tensions, but they're all baby boomers speaking about the millennial topic. And so he said, I feel like this is an avenue for you. So I worked with him, did some research, and then kind of broke off and started doing my own thing. And so for the last nine years, I go and I work with organizations from the millennial perspective, what it is to be a millennial, kind of debunking those stereotypes, 
how you can best bridge generational gaps and then the evolution of my work from it just solely being more millennial based over time i realized wait by only focusing on the millennials we're kind of causing the reverse problem we're putting the baby boomers and the gen xers those loyal employees that have put in hours of work that will show up on holidays in nice attire you know um we're putting them in the shadows and so over time the work has kind of evolved from millennial specific to really generational wide and how can an organization create a thriving multi-generational workforce where every generation feels heard needed and relevant event. That's awesome. And I, I think that's one of the things that drew me to your message is that sort of that two-way mirror or the the two different lenses that you yeah. look through and help others look through. And we're, we're going to get to that very specific. Um, so let, let's talk about as, as you sort of begin to hone the message and, and we're seen as a subject matter expert yourself in these conversations. Let, let's begin with the message as you, as you come into an organization. And I would love for you to share both healthcare and non-healthcare examples because you've shared a couple with me offline and they're, they're just, they're fascinating because as much as we think we're different, we're not always that different. (laughs) Uh, And I also think healthcare always stands to learn from other industries there. Talk about the message you bring to groups around the Gen Z or or millennial uh, elements of the workforce. Well, one of the biggest things that I've seen when you talk about the different generations it's so easy to feel so different from everybody. And then it's, especially when you're dealing with age and inexperience of the Generation Z or millennial generation, it's easy for people to think, well, if they haven't had a lot of experience, then they haven't really lived. They don't know what it's like. And so my biggest message, the thing I feel the most strongly about in my work is that every single one of us has stories that shape us. And we all have throughout our adolescence, throughout our young adulthood, we're all living these lives and creating these stories that shape us. And sometimes they're traumatic, sometimes they're joyous, but they, and they can be small, they can be large, but they're moments in time that mark history for us, that shape us into who we are. And so when I speak to organizations and Dan, just like you said, it's not, I mean, different face, same issues with different industries. I mean, I've spoken to so many different industries and it always comes down to the same thing. And it's so important to realize that your newest hire might have these great ideas from experiences that they've lived, but it's important for us to get to know people from more than just their age and more than just their position at your organization. Yeah, I think that, you know, our our own stories and the way you said it just resonates as as we think about every single generation, as as we think about the boomers themselves that came out of that, those years of their parents pre-1964. <laughs> Uh, we think of the Gen Xers being sort of that first at-large latchkey kid mm-hmm. uh, generation. Um, we think of the next generation with "I want my MTV," and, <laughs> right? <laughs> and 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 the introduction, really, for the first time, of what I would call pervasive technology mm-hmm. versus the big chief Indian tablet and Crayola crayons there right. that we, we might've entertained ourselves with. I think all those, it's so fascinating because if you look at it like that, it's what, it's what paints the pic. It's what writes the story I right. think, for everybody there. 
So the the uh, the theory, the uh, the observations, I think, are so valuable. But I love what you've been able to do to say, well, let's turn that into a solution. Let's turn that into identifying a problem mm-hmm. and thinking about how we solve on that problem, if if not the entire thing, at least part of it. And, and of course, today, again, specifically in healthcare, but would love any other uh, examples out of other industries, is this whole notion of we hire these folks, and then for some reason, we've struggled with retention. We, we've not done nearly as good a job in retaining. And I'm wondering if you have some insight that you can share, and and then, of course, optimally, if you have some solutions you could share as well. Right. Oh, yeah. Retention is it's a beast of a problem because it it drains your resources. It drains your energy where you can't focus on your overall goal and mission as an organization. And Dan, you're absolutely right. It is not healthcare specific. Now, retention numbers are incredibly high in healthcare. Um, but I was actually working with a concrete organization recently and they were having severe turnover and retention issues and people were leaving after three months for a quarter more. And so... I went in and and we really discussed. So now, I mean, don't get me wrong. People like more pay. I I, I, I won't debunk that totally, but people are not leaving their jobs for a quarter more if they're really happy in the environment that they're working with. They're they're happy with their team. They're happy with their leader. They're happy with the culture. A quarter is not going to drive all these people to move. It might, unless you're you really need it. But the majority of people are not going to leave for twenty five cents more an hour, and so. The idea with retention is it just like it has, everybody has a story. Every generation, we, we are so, we so deeply want to feel connected to where we're working. We want to feel like we are seen for more than just our role, for more than just our position. And we want to feel like we have purpose in what we're doing. And so, so often when I'm working with organizations, especially with healthcare, I, we talk about it's so, we, we know that change comes from the top down. But if you try to change an entire organization, that's going to take a lot of time. And so when I'm working with organizations and trying to help with retention, instead of talking, okay, what can the big dogs upstairs do? We talk about what can you do as a department leader? How can you change your culture within your department to help reduce that retention? And that is connecting with your employees, getting to know them, making them feel valued, listening to them, making sure that people feel heard and asked for input and making sure that where people are spending 40 hours a week, they feel like they're a valuable part of that team and they're seen for who they are and not just the work that they're they're putting in. And time and time again, I will present this information. And when I first present it, I always get some eye rolls from the Generation X or baby boomers in the room without fail. But throughout the presentation, throughout the workshops, you know, you realize we all want the same thing, whether you are the newest hire or the oldest employee there. We all want the same thing. We all want to feel passionate about our work and feel like we're a, a valuable part of a team that is doing positive work for our community. So that's really what we try to work towards with retention is making sure that culture reflects the work and the passion that these employees want to put into it. You know, it's almost like a, I guess you could call it a double whammy for some of these younger employees. Not, not only am I new and some of my biggest worries and concerns in the beginning is, gosh, am I going to make it? Am I going to succeed? But I'm also new and young. 
uh, yes. relative to everybody else. Is that something that you observe? Oh, absolutely. And they, I feel so often, you know, it's kind of like social media. Social media is this idea where you look at it and you, it's easy to feel like your life isn't as good as everybody else's because you're just seeing the best that somebody wants to post, right? And so these younger generations, Generation X, the millennial generation, we are seeing kind of only the the positive things that people want to present in the world. And so it's so easy to feel like when you're struggling, you're by yourself. No one else has those struggles because you're not seeing them online. And that's sadly so much of our world now and so much of our connection is all online. And so I think when our workplace, we can connect with more than just the work at hand and we can feel like, a valued part of the team, then all of a sudden you buy in. All of a sudden you feel a little bit more loyal to this group. You feel like, okay, I might get 25 cents more over there, but these people actually care about me. And for the younger people, when you when you start a position, you already feel like you're behind because you're the youngest one. You feel like people don't respect you. They probably don't, let's be honest. You haven't really earned it. But you know, they they already feel like they're coming in behind. And so if we can make everybody feel heard and seen, then that's a great way to to really try to promote that loyalty. I want to I want to sit in those shoes for just a couple seconds with you, and I, I have two topics that I'd love your input on. Okay. One is belonging, and one is trust. Mm. So the belonging one, I think, is sort of where we're going with this. Is as I come into an organization, what are some of the things that could help um, uh, the organization, the leaders, the senior leaders, the coworkers? Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that could help? a member of one of these two younger generations feel a greater sense of belonging earlier versus almost always having to earn it out over time. But what are some things we could do uh, ourselves as the folks that might bring these folks into our organization to foster that sense of belonging? So the from the immediately from the hiring standpoint, so I've done a lot of research, a lot of um, polling and, and, um, different types of engagement with the younger generations of what is it that you want when you're being hired, when you're being recruited by these companies? What is something that these leaders and organizations can do to stand out? Because, I mean, let's be honest, healthcare is all, if you're talking about healthcare, you're all basically offering the same things. If I'm a nurse, you're offering probably a 12-hour shift, three to four times a week, you know, similar benefits, pay, whatever, in the same community. But what can you do? And one of the biggest things that we've seen is a tailored pitch. And so, so often these these people come in, they're, they're interviewing all these different positions, and they feel like... All they're seeing is I'm just I'm just an RN. They only see me as a, a, an RN with five years of experience. But ways that organizations can stand out and kind of appeal to that sense of belonging that you belong here and we see you for who you are is getting to know them on a, a little bit more of a personal level throughout the recruiting. And so as you're trying to recruit, if you say that you've learned they have a young family, talk about the schools, talk about what you're, you they could do with their young family in that community. Uh, If they like the arts, talk about what your community has to offer for the arts. And so kind of thinking outside of the box, but tailoring it a little bit to them, that 10 minutes of extra work goes so far for these people being hired because they feel like they're not just a number. They're being seen for their organization. So early on, they already feel a little bit more seen. And then another big part is so once you've 
once you've hired them, is the onboarding process and really getting that buy-in very early during the onboarding process, making sure that they feel like they're a valuable part of the team. Their insight is welcomed. Now, their insight won't always be taken, but their insight's welcomed. And what they have, the reason that they were hired is because they have something valuable that can help this organization. So that early buy-in is really important to the sense of belonging. Makes makes so much sense, and 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 again looks at you know if we look at less than one year turnover. I was speaking with a CEO the other day, and that was his big pain point was less than one year turnover. And he said, I think if I dug deep enough, it's less than ninety day turnover. And he said, you know, it just kills us. They come, we we put all this energy and expense into recruiting, and then we look up and we ask the question, Oh my gosh, where'd they go? Right, and and perhaps. That that sort of input that you were talking about, maybe we waited too long or maybe we just didn't ask. Right. And and Dan, one of the things that I've seen with that high turnover, especially with um, nursing, is you want to make sure that the people that are training these nurses are the best of the best and they're still excited about their job. Because so often, if you have poor trainers, if you have trainers that feel burnout or that aren't that interested, once they let these people loose, they feel like they have no, they haven't been trained. And then, well, I can't do this. I'm not, I, this isn't a job for me. I'm going to leave. And so I think it's really important to also focus on the energy of who's training. What are we, how are we investing in the trainers? So then our people are the, are the most equipped when they're let go and on the yeah. floor by themselves. Yeah. So let let me turn the lens a little bit. Uh, I come into a new organization as one of the younger members of the team. You're doing uh, the work, perhaps, uh, around creating a sense of belonging. We're starting to see some fascinating data come out of newer retention research. Um, There'll be a new book coming out um, fairly soon that that Quint co-authored with a professor at the University of Alabama, Birmingham, around retention. And this was a large-scale research project. And some of the things that we've talked about for a number of years that sort of seem to be, you know, well, duh, uh, in in terms of retaining folks, the the, the sands have begun to shift. Hmm. And and one of the very top issues we, we began to see is the predictability of retention based on trust. And not just trust in my one-up leader, because there was that old adage, you don't leave your job, you leave your boss. We've actually seen that data point slide way down in the top 10 uh, as reasons to, or as the ability to predict retention. Now we're starting to see, do I trust the folks that are leading the organization? Do I trust the folks that are guiding the ship? Any, any particular insight that you would lend from a millennial or Gen Z view on trust? Put yourself in a millennial perspective and look at the leaders that we have had for our country, for all of these different big leadership positions over the last 15 years and see how we are questioning trust. And it's easy for us to question things because we're not seeing it played out. So even just as a country, we're, we don't have that sense of trust in so many things that the older generations, it was just embedded in you. You just, you didn't question it because why would you question it? The machine was working. And so you have this generation who is seeing leadership in a different way. And then you have, again, we add in that social, the social media piece, that connection piece where now 
everybody is an expert about anything online. And so you're going to question things and you're not going to trust things in the same way. And one of the things we saw during COVID was, I mean, as all these, anyone listening who's been a hospital, who was a hospital leader during COVID, hardest time to be a hospital leader, hardest time to be anywhere in the in the medical field or healthcare field. But um, one of the things that when I was when I was connecting with the different generations, okay, what is it that you're wanting? I found it really interesting that they said they want to hear this tough and scary information from their leaders, but they wanted a video or live video chat because they couldn't be in person. They wanted to see the leader's face when the leader was was giving this information. And I thought that was so interesting because that's where you see the trust. You see the trust because you can read someone's eyes. You can read someone's face and they want to know, give me the tough information. I can handle the tough information, but I want to know, I want to see it in your eyes that I can trust you and that you're going to help us get out of this. You might not know how, but I trust that you are going to help us get through this. And that was something that was really interesting during COVID was seeing which leaders thrived in that and which leaders kind of shielded everybody to you know, sometimes you just don't know. And no, nobody knew what the the answers were during this time. But the leaders that can kind of say, this is going to be hard, or I'm not really sure what we're doing, but you can trust me that I'm going to get us through it. And so I think that trust piece plays a huge part of if someone feels like they can stick around and they're part of an organization that is is worth sticking around with. Yeah, you know, it validates everything that we're seeing from both the data perspective as well as the what I would call the applied world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if there was ever a time you didn't solve things with an email blast, that was the <laughs> absolutely uh, there were there were organizations where senior leadership teams said, you know what, we're we're gonna we're gonna get into the trenches, we're gonna don and duff the the PPE, we're we're gonna protect ourselves, but we're gonna mm-hmm. be there so that folks, even if they're having to look through a plastic shield, they they see our eyeballs. Uh, right as well next level out it's that that present in person uh um uh presence that you just talked about whether mm-hmm. it's you know zoom or teams or whatever and then perhaps the next ring out is a recorded video and i i bet there would i bet there would be some research available for those uh those different rings out from the consent oh, sure. of the leader being there in person Right, I'm sure, but it, it it that was very eye opening to me because it just I wasn't even thinking that I was going to see really much data from that, but it made a lot of sense because if I'm reading it, I'm definitely not going to buy it as much as if I see my leader saying it, even if it's pre recorded. Yeah, so we we have a we have a phrase that we use an awful lot at Healthcare Plus Solutions Group, and that's about around making things doable. Mm-hmm. Taking taking rocks out of people's backpacks because if there's ever an industry that can overcomplicate a simple idea, sometimes unfortunately it's us in in healthcare. And so we've been trying to sort of lighten the load of healthcare leaders, healthcare uh, workers, providers, clinical, non clinical across the industry there. But in that theme of making it doable. I always chuckle because when people pick up a book on the multi-generational workforce, if they go to a conference, they can, I, I've, I've seen folks say, my gosh, it's just so complicated. I can't wrap <laughs> my head around this. So if you had just a couple of nuggets to share through, through again, both the lenses. So if I'm in Gen Z or I'm a millennial there, what are a couple of nuggets that could make it doable? to foster 
that that sense of belonging, that that better workplace than it was yesterday. And for those of us that have the grayer hair on the the podcast today, how do, how do we make it doable for the 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 baby boomers, even sometimes the Gen Xers? How do we make this whole theme of solving, cracking the code mm-hmm. on the multi generational workforce doable? What? How do we simplify this thing? So it seems it seems overwhelming. It seems like it can't be done. But it really comes back to just education and respect for the people that you're working with. So we have to understand, first off, we're not that different. We're not. I mean, yes, the Generation Z has never had a question that Google couldn't answer immediately. And baby boomers have had to work far more than millennials will ever work in their life. I mean, so we have these we have these things in place. But when it comes down to our core desires, we're not that different. We all want passion in our work. We want to feel heard, needed, and relevant. We want to be excited about where we're spending 40 hours a week and then spend time with the people that we love doing the things we love. So the core of it's not that different. But one of the biggest things is we have to, as an organization, when you're dealing with different people, the best way you can first gear up and 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 work with these different generations is understand what you're working with. And so typically when I'm working with an organization, the very first thing I do is I break down the different generations and I talk about each one's strengths, weaknesses, and life-defining moments that they went through as an adolescence, as a generation. So for example, millennials, we went through 9-11. So for the first time in history, we had an attack on American soil. And during our adolescence, which is the most pivotal time to create change for somebody, we saw that the world isn't safe, tomorrow isn't promised, and that you need to live today fully. And so millennials 10 years later, 15 years later grew up. And all of a sudden you have the YOLO generation. You only live once. And we want to feel passion in our work and we want a strong work-life balance because we know that tomorrow isn't promised. And so does that make the frustration of Generation X and baby boomers who see the millennials who want that strong work-life balance, does that take it away? No. But if you can understand the reason why behind it, it helps kind of connect those dots. And so um, so we always talk about that. And then we talk about the strengths and weaknesses. And I, I always like to bring up the strengths and weaknesses of each generation because each generation has them. And so where one generation is weaker, the other generation stronger. And so if we work as a team, not you're this, I'm that, it's, hey, I can, I do this well and you do that well. So let's each, let's each encourage each other to do the things we do well and then things get done. And through that, if we're, kind of celebrating those parts of each generation, the differences. And then we really listen to the needs of each other on both sides. So the younger generation, please stop talking for a second and just listen to the people that have been there for a while. They have so much insight to tell you. And then for the older generations, just not you don't just being aware of other people they have things to say again you don't have to take all their insight but if we're open to hearing what the other group has to say i think a lot of growth can come from that so i don't know if it's necessarily going to make that backpack much lighter if we're talking about the rocks in the backpack but i think it can it over time i think you're going to see a lot of growth from that 
Yeah. I, knowing that we'll have some listeners in this in this generation, um, let's take it one step further, if you don't mind, from the stop talking and just listen uh, perspective. As you coach your peers in any of the industries that that you work with, what would you tell the Gen Zs and millennials specifically beyond the stop talking? Because I think that that's such a pragmatic. Oh, I could do that tomorrow, sort of right. thing. Makes sense. Are there a couple more nuggets that you would uh, use as you coach your Gen Z or millennial peers to be better teammates? Absolutely. So again, listen, my, my dad always says, God gave you two ears, two eyes, and one mouth for a reason. So listen, observe, and, and use those as your tools to get better. But then also the millennial generation, Generation Z, they're they're driven. They're excited. They're they're hungry for their career. And we're a generation of now. Look at Amazon. You can order something, and in some places, it can be delivered to you within an hour. And so, it's a very fast generation. And so, we have to understand that we can see change, but it might take some time. But while you're waiting for change to happen, while you're waiting for your career to grow, look around your department, look around your organization, and find one or two people that you admire the work that they're doing, what they're doing, how they're doing it, whether it's their work life or how they're balancing their family life. And follow them, ask them questions, get to know them and learn from their experience. And I think when we can sit down as younger generations and really get to know the people that have lived a full life in front of us, we can learn so much and not saying you're going to follow every step, but you're learning from their experiences. And I think that will help their, them feel like they're kind of taking steps in their career, even if the organization isn't necessarily taking those, that they, they can put it in their own hands. This past March, we were at the American College of Healthcare Executives and a good friend, longtime colleague, Dr. Lynn Friedman, who leads the MHA program at George Washington University, brought this entire cohort of MHA soon to be graduates to the uh, to the event. And I will tell you, it's probably my favorite memory, and it that validates everything that you just said. After uh, after a presentation, I was off to the side of the stage, and Len brought all of his students with him. And uh, interestingly enough, none of them were um, American students. Uh, none of them were Caucasian students, I, more accurately. Um, Three-fourths of them were female, soon-to-be graduates. And the thing that just just impressed the heck out of me in that conversation is they were they were more than sponges they were just like dried up dried Mm -hmm. up pieces of something that were looking for guidance that were looking for and i think that what you're hitting on is be curious be intrigued uh learn beyond the degree or the certificate or the certification there there and it just struck me because i i spent probably oh i don't know maybe less than 30 minutes with them uh after the presentation out in the foyer and it was nonstop q a (laughs) and i just got to thinking how fortunate are these organizations whomever these organizations are that these folks were going to be joining how how fortunate they would be if the curiosity and the intrigue didn't stop on the date of employment. Mm-hmm. There. I uh, love that. No, and I think it's so important. And I think with the internet, it kind of has made us not as curious to be around the people that we're around because we can just look it up online, but there's, there's a disconnect. And we saw that with, we saw that with COVID when you can't be in 
with some with people and and that that person to person connection is something that just can't be replaced and so that yes the curiosity is i think really important in the growth of of younger generations so even as um the next generation comes in years from now that curiosity piece is such an important piece listening and then be curious and ask questions yeah and just don't rely on just asking chat gpt no don't <laughs> <laughs> It's not going to take you very far. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it, as we wrap up the podcast for today, um, you you are one of those folks that, you know, there's nothing like being out in the field. There's nothing like being in the trenches. There's nothing like being in the hallways of organizations. And that's another thing that that intrigued me about you and having you on the podcast today, because you're you're not a an academic behind the four walls of an institution. You're you're sort of one of those applied folks that are uh that is out in the trenches with organizations. As as you think of this nine years that you've spent. Uh, going from someone who looked like she was probably 12 when she hit the stage. And I love the fact that you engaged a speaking coach to to make you better, which also meant credibility grew for you there as well. Um, I'm intrigued by your learning. What's the greatest learning you would share with our audience today as you've spent the last nine years both delivering these messages and helping solve for the challenges with organizations with whom you've worked? So the first thing that comes to mind, and it's something I've seen, like you said, you mentioned earlier, I've, I've I speak a lot with or, or with healthcare, but I've I've worked with a lot of different indus- industries, and one thing that I have seen time and time again is that people are passionate about what they're doing, and they want to feel passionate. People aren't just happening upon these jobs. So often, I mean, you could you could choose any job, and what they're doing, they want to feel like they are making a difference in their community. And that passion is such a driving force to success. It's a driving force to employee engagement, customer satisfaction, retention, resiliency. And so that's something I've just, it's been, it's been really encouraging to see because I think so often when, I mean, in anybody's job, it's easy to feel like you're kind of on this path because it just happened to you and it's easy to feel burnout. But so often we we started this specific path for a reason. We started it because we were passionate about something. And so I think if we can tap into what was that initial thing that was driving us to do this, I think we can kind of find a light and joy back of back in our work and hopefully fill that connection with not only your organization, but really with your with your career. So that's been something neat to see through industry-wide, um, not just healthcare, but of course, healthcare. You love seeing the passion of people wanting to give people a second chance and and a hopeful, health, healthy life. For our healthcare folks on the audi- in the audience today, w- would you mind sharing just some of the other industries that you've worked with? Because I always think it's it's intriguing. I've heard you mention concrete. Yes. So, uh, what was did this concrete company do? Roads or or forms? What do, what did they do? They did everything. So they pour concrete for basically all of the city. So it's the National Concrete Association. So um, I, I, I've worked with different states. And so anytime anything is being built, they're the drivers that go and pour the concrete. Um, I've worked with masonry, which that was a funny group to work with because um, I'm used to speaking to groups where I would say the general age is between late 20s to 
mid-60s and a good mix of of female and male. And the masonry um, organizations that I worked with, uh, I think the median age was 85 and there was, I was only female in the room. So it was just interesting to see the dynamics of that. I've worked with the legal industry, um, with the car industry, food industry. So um, just different uh, marketing. So just different things, but it all, the the thing that it plays true every time we people, it's it, people are struggling with retention. They want to make people enjoy their job and they ultimately want to do a good job and have happy customers or patients. And so industry-wide, that's ultimately the goal. That's awesome. I, I remember a number of years ago with a former organization when we were named one of the Malcolm Baldrige Quality Award recipients. One of the other small businesses that year was a company called KN Management. And they're a food, they're a, a franchise uh company in Texas. They they run two franchises. One's called Rudy's Barbecue. Mm-hmm. And it was it was kind of cute because their tagline was the worst barbecue in Texas, which you knew it had to be good. Uh, right. And no, and oh, by the way, they only sell it in convenience stores, which makes it really has to be good. Right. And and then this really intriguing little burger chain called Mighty Fine Burgers. And the stories they told relative to some of the things you're talking about, what they focused upon, the the dress code for Mighty Fine Burgers was a T-shirt on the front. It said, quality is everything. Mm. And on the back, it said, I have clean hands. <laughs> I thought maybe maybe that's the new dress code for healthcare as well, right. <laughs> because they were so focused on on hand washing. But it's just always it's always so fun to learn from other industries. Right. And um, he uh, the, the, the CEO of the company, uh, he knew his audience. There were about four thousand of us in the room and probably, I don't know, two thousand of us were healthcare. Uh, and uh, it was interesting his observations on the comparison contrast of a, a burger joint and and healthcare relative to hand washing. Oh, I'm sh- hey, that's a good connection though. <laughs> <laughs> Amelie, it has been such a delight uh, having you on. Uh, I hope this won't be the last time we get to talk. Oh, I hope not uh, either. I would I would love as a learning organization ourselves to continue to learn from folks like you and 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 not just in theory but in solving things. It's one of the reasons we have the word solutions in our organization's name. So thanks for making the time today and and uh, thank your family for loaning you to us for the last uh, 40 minutes. I will thank you so much for the opportunity. All right, thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Plus podcast. For more information about our upcoming events, visit healthcareplussg.com.